I wonder if you've uh, heard of a book entitled The Cross is Not Enough. The authors had the opinion that the New Testament talks a lot about Jesus being crucified and a lot about him rising to life. So I thought, hmm, that's a fair comment. So that's what we'll do this morning. First up, four truths that are embedded in Romans 6. Truth number one, Jesus rose from the dead. Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. He was raised from the dead. Right early on, this was the conviction of the biblical writers. Right from the beginning, the disciples talked about Jesus being alive. They saw him. We read one of those occasions uh, at the beginning of the service. He was crucified and he died. They witnessed that. He rose from the dead. They witnessed that. So many people saw him alive that it's difficult to be a fabrication. In another place, Paul uh, said to the king, and that was Agrippa, is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Acts 26. Jesus was alive and everybody knew about it. So beyond reasonable doubt, Jesus died, was buried and rose again. That's the first truth. Truth number two. That's the title of a song. I was told not to mention music because it would show my age and I'd get rubbish for it. Well, I've done it. Um, don't laugh. <laughs> Truth number two, Jesus Christ will never die again. Verse nine, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. He will not die again. He lives in the power of an indestructible life. Uh, that's Hebrews 7, 16, but based upon the power of an indestructible life. Death threw everything at Jesus. All its power was exhausted in a massive hit on him. And it failed. There's nothing left. It's done. After the Allies landed at Normandy and began to make inroads into Axis territory, Hitler decided in one of his moments of delusion to make one last attempt to drive them back to the sea. It was called the Battle of the Bulge. He threw everything at the Allied forces. After that, he had nothing left. Jesus is alive. He's alive forever. Second point. Truth number three, believers are united to Christ in his death by faith. Now, if we died with Christ, he says, so through faith, believers are united to Jesus in his death. Followers of Jesus have died with Christ, died to the old self, died to the old ways of life opposed to God, died to the old way of life dominated by the world, the flesh and the devil. He dies, 
they die to the old self, to the old life. Sin's tyranny has been destroyed, not its presence, but its tyranny. And this, by faith, God's people are united to him in his death. We have died to sin in Christ. Third truth. Truth number four. Believers are united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. Verse five. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we'll also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Through faith, his people are united to him in his rising from the dead. He died, his people died. He rose, his people rose. Rose to new life. Rose to new life then and now. One day he will be raised, never, one day his people will be raised never to die again. God's people to eternal life, those outside his grace to eternal destruction. Paul is speaking of the now. Now by faith, the tyranny of sin has been removed. Now by faith, those in Christ are alive to him by the power of the resurrection. Christ rose from the sphere where death reigns to the sphere of life. That's where he is now. Likewise, his people, through faith, are joined to him in that resurrection. They too live in new life. They too have been raised. Followers of Jesus share in that resurrection life. Fourth point, those who are united to Christ by faith have been raised with him to new life. So I suggest that beyond all reasonable doubt, Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive now in heaven. He will never die again. God's people are united to him in his death. They've died with him to the penalty and tyranny of sin. God's people are united to him in his life, resurrection life. They are new people and one day will live forever. His resurrection is the guarantee of his people's. So what? So what if Jesus is alive? So what? if it's all true. The story is told of Levi Yitzhak, a Ukrainian rabbi. He was confronted by an atheist philosopher who reeled off a list of arguments against the existence of God. He thought that the rabbi would take up the intellectual challenge, which he could have done with great ease. But Levi Yitzhak responded very differently from what the philosopher expected. He looked him directly in the eye and said gently, and what if, after all, it were true that God exists? Tell me, and what if it were true? By the grace of God, that became a eureka moment for that man. He was shaken. He'd never thought of that before. Those words started to trouble him more than all the arguments that he had used and entered into. He became to feel um, for the first time how vulnerable and accountable he was if this God existed. That 
It was probably past time playing intellectual games. His whole world was turned on end and he was open to the truth and eventually was persuaded and became a believer. So what if it's true that Christ rose from the dead and that he'll never die again? What if it's true that by faith his people are united to him in his death and his resurrection? What if it's true, not just the fact that Jesus rose from the dead physically in space and time, but as a living dynamic event that affects the now? Well, here are a few thoughts. If it's true, the power of death is broken and the cause of slavery, the fear of death is severed. And we are free to live for God. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held by slavery, in slavery by their fear of death. Joined to his resurrection means that we're free from the fear of death and free to live for God. If it's true, you don't need to get to the top to be a success. Success in our culture is not necessarily the same as success in God's eyes. I participated in a funeral um, many years ago now for a woman who suffered more than most. And yet in it all, in the pain and the suffering and the sorrow, and everything else, she bore a glorious other-centred witness to Jesus Christ. She was a success. Not many people knew her, but Jesus did. I can see a few, I can see a few eyes glazing over and minds shutting down and you're thinking along the lines... Mm, that's all very well, but I don't live a very joyful life. If I was honest, I'd say life sucks and following Jesus is tough. You're right, but I'm not putting that out there to make you feel guilty for failing to live up to it. No one does. I'm putting it out there to hopefully give you some hope. To give you hope in the resurrection that be, if you persevere, even though you're uh, faint is as faint and wobbly as a child learning to ride a bike. That your love is fickle and faint. That you, even if you trust in Jesus a little bit, there is hope because Jesus lives and you share in his resurrection. And then probably at the end of it, pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If it's true, you don't need to run away from trouble and live in fear that he who has the most toys wins. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world, Jesus said. If it's true, you can face persecution. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. How's that for an impossibility? Because your great is your reward in heaven. It may be bad, he's, Jesus is saying, but it's not the last word. 
Jesus has the last word. Truth will triumph. I know, I know. How can you say this? I haven't been threatened with my life. I haven't been in danger of my life. I just go on history. History has shown that people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, believe that he's alive in the present, have endured all sorts of hardships and trials because Jesus lives. They can press on. And they share in his resurrection so they can stand a lot. If it's true, every loss you endure for the kingdom will be made up a thousandfold. I think of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and there are hundreds of others. Um, I just happen to have read a lot of his life. He gave up a potentially lucrative career as a Harley, Harley Street specialist to become a pastor preacher in a little backwater in South Wales. And it was put that way in the media. Back those days, things like that were reported. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones' response was, I gave up nothing and gained everything. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good it will be for a man or a woman if they, exchange, if they gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can... A person give in exchange for their soul. If it's true, no threat is ultimate in the cause of truth and love. Nothing can defeat it. The Apostle Paul had this view. Have you ever wondered why he was so indomitable when facing his detractors, when fearing for his life when in prison, shipwrecked, tortured. This is what he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, I get to proclaim Jesus, who he is and what he has done. If I die, I win because I'll be with him. That's better. But I think I'll hang around for a while and speak to you. As he saw it, whatever happened, he gained. And as someone said, you can't defeat people like that. If it's true, the decline of your body is a prelude to glory. I mentioned again. I mentioned again the funeral I participated in many years ago. This um, lady suffered from Lou Gehrig's disease and her body just wasted away. She couldn't talk, she couldn't walk, she could hardly breathe, she could hardly move. And her sad, wasted body racked with that disease will one day be restored whole and well and vital. It's a bitter, bitter end if there is no resurrection. But quite frankly, ageing sucks. But if the resurrection is true, 
then the ageing, decaying process is a prelude to resurrection glory. God's people, those who trust in the all-sufficient Saviour, will be made completely whole. No impurity, no struggle with lust or greed or covetousness or fear or inferiority or cowardice or painful memories or paralysing shame. No blighted health or wasted body. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. If it's true, if it's not true, if it's true, there will be no sorrow or pain. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. If it's true, war will be a thing of the past. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised among the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isaiah 2. If it's true, every injustice will be rectified, every evil will be recompensed, and every wrong made right. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your saviour comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. If it's true, those who are in Christ will, raise with, will rise with him never to die again. And God will be their God and they will be his people and the glory of the Lord will be their light and joy forever. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he or she dies. And whoever believes in me lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If it's true, you can change. Don't for a moment hear me saying that it's simple and easy and just follow one, two, three steps. But if, it's tr if the resurrection is true, and if we are united to Christ in his resurrection, we can change. We're not doomed to live out totally the effects of sin and other things. We can change. Christ is raised. Sin no longer dominates. We live in his resurrected life. In another book, 
Uh, in Philippians, Paul wrote, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Don't like that bit much. Becoming like him in his death and so to attain the resurrection from the dead. He desires to live a resurrected life where grace dominates evil. He wants to know the power of his resurrection, his life to change. Well, maybe that's good or maybe you don't think it's that good, but just say it's good for the moment, all that. But I remember a radio interview with an Arabic man. He regarded all religion, not just Christianity, he regarded all religion as evil and insidious. The main reason he advanced is that religions promise much for the future. And in so doing, undercut any action now for justice and good works, etc., etc. He had a bit of a point. So that's what I'm going to finish with. Response. What is the response to him? Well, having stated the truth of the resurrection, Paul urges, this is in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter on the resurrection. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So first he says, let nothing move you. Don't shift. Don't let those who argue that the resurrection didn't happen or can't happen shift you from that spot. Stand humbly on the spot marked resurrection. And stay there. From the beginning, people have argued that the resurrection doesn't happen. It's not just a new thing. It was that they were hard at it in the, in the time of the early church. Don't let modern churchmen and women who disbelieve deter you from holding to the truth of the resurrection, which is clearly established in Scripture. Stand there. Jesus rose from the grave. He's alive now. One day all his people will be raised with him and now we share in his resurrection life by faith. Stay with it, he says. Then, he says, secondly, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. The work he refers to in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, 15, 58 isn't specified, but if you compare it with 1 Corinthians 16, 10, it's clearly kingdom work or gospel work. It can only mean spreading the good news about Jesus among those who don't believe him. He spelt that out at the beginning of chapter 15. It's the message about Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and was raised on the third day, all according to the scriptures. That's the work. And he says it's not pointless if you see, even if you see little response. Nothing of any of this work done in Christ is wasted. Go for it because Jesus is alive. And by inference, don't waste your life on empty things that gain no eternal traction. And the reality of the resurrection one day and resurrection life now inspires people, has 
inspired many people down through the ages to work for justice, freedom from oppression, but primarily by proclaiming the truth about Jesus in context. William Wilberforce is one example. Because human hearts must be changed to to end oppression and injustice and slavery. People have to be convicted of it. But at the heart of it is this essential message, life-transforming message of the good news. So that's the work that we're to give ourselves to. But I know, and you know, um, that you must work. That leaves out the retirees, of course. Um, You have children to look after. You have family responsibilities. You have health issues. Are we meant to forgo all these and all become pastors? Heaven forbid. We are to work for the good of the city, according to Jeremiah 29.7. We are to be involved in the community, seeking to be salt and light, Jesus. We are to work hard and well. Um, Ephesians 5, those who are on the top of the tree in terms of being the bosses, make sure you treat people well. Those who work for others, make sure you work well. This life is significant. It's not something that we just go through to get to the end. We, We are to be part of it. So how does it work out that when he says, give yourself to the work of the Lord? As citizens of heaven, God's people view this life a bit differently, that it's not permanent. God's kingdom is permanent. So as you fulfill your God-given, rightful, honourable professions and responsibilities in life, Keep the resurrection front and centre. Go about your work. Do it well. Work hard. But aim to be a witness both in action and word where opportunity presents it. Seek out unbelievers to read the Bible with. I just happen to think that's the only way to do it these days given the background. Get involved in acts of mercy and voluntary things and make it clear that you're serving Christ. Make it clear in a humble, gentle way that you live for Christ, that he matters to you. And pursue godliness and apologise when you stuff up. Question presuppositions and worldviews, not in a cocky aggressive, superior manner, but gently and quietly and ask lots of questions to try and get to heart issues. We must live in this world. We cannot do anything else but seek to be a good witness in word and deed. The resurrection has happened and is coming God's people 
live in resurrection life now. I could go on, but I'm done, and you probably are too. Uh, I'll be down the front if you want to pursue anything further. <laughs>